Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is perhaps one of the most important aspects of evangelism, and also one of the most unpopular. Lane Hallsworth is going to lead us through a key passage on sharing the good news of the gospel from the book of Acts, and we will see how repentance is both a critical and necessary step in leading others to a knowledge of the truth. Thanks for listening. So a a few weeks ago, pastor approached me and asked if I could preach on the 12th. I said I would, and he said, good, I want you to preach on repentance. And then he jetted off to the Dominican, so... Uh, I've been I've been using me preaching today to tell a lot of people about the Dominican trip. Um, I was in the at the chiropractor a few weeks ago, and and I there was just a person next to me, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I gotta I gotta preach in a few weeks. And they kind of looked at me. I'm like, yeah, the church is heading down to the Dominican on a missions trip. Oh. <laughs> But uh, it's it's awesome, you know. It's you take a little church in Segola and um, just to see what God can do, you know. It's pretty neat. Um, but anyways, Pastor Ryan did say that uh, Paul's sermon in Acts 17, which I'll be covering today, is top five on evangelism. So listen up, or else. <laughs> okay, so I'd like to take a poll. <clears throat> How many people have completely lost their sense of smell? Maybe within the past few years. Spar? Okay, a few of them. It's an odd, it's an odd thing. Uh, due to COVID, I lost my smell twice, actually. Um, Chelsea did too. Well, Chelsea got her smell back before I did. Um, and she would come into the house and like, whoa, what is that? And... Uh, Normally, I would blame it on the kids, but it wasn't always the baby. Um, she's told me gently that some people just have stronger body odor than others. And I just happen to be of that stronger kind. So, so now to avoid being that stinky person, I have to go up to her and hold my arm up and be like, am I good? Or... I may have the stronger uh, type of body odor, but we all stink, right? There's no way around it. The problem is whether we can smell it or not and how we respond to it. On Luke 5.30, Jesus says that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in Romans 3, Paul is quoting Psalms 14 when he says, None are righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. It's just whether we recognize it or not. We've covered this the past few Sundays, uh, the idea of smell. To quote Pastor John MacArthur, the church is not made up of people who are good. It is made up of people who know they are not. That sounds horrible though, right? A bunch of people moping around because they're no good and they're doomed for judgment. 
But you remember Sarah's? Sarah's here? Okay, there's Sarah. You remember Sarah's testimony? Uh, a few weeks ago, she was plagued by panic attack after panic attack. And uh, what did Pastor tell her? What are you afraid of? Death? Is that the worst that could happen? Death, death has no hold on Sarah. No, with, with Jesus, um, death is a beginning. And boy, to know that is to find out what living is really like. Repentance is taking the realization of guilt, bowing the knee to a God who is greater and asking him to have mercy on you. He will bring the act of transformation this is repentance. Today we'll continue our series on evangelism uh, and specifically dealing with repentance. We'll be studying out of the book of Acts. Paul was on the missions field in Athens and found himself in the middle of the Areopagus, delivering a sermon which we can now read in chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Uh, if you can turn there with me. No, there's, is there a page in the bulletin? There is eight, though. I don't have it. Okay. Uh, just to give a brief background, <clears throat> Areopagus is two Greek words, Ares and Rock. And Ares is their god of war. So Ares Rock. It was a place where leaders and thinkers would gather and discuss ideas and philosophies. Uh, maybe like a Harvard Sociology Hall. Anyways, they would mostly defend the concept of the gods. The people of Athens were spiritual, but not Christian or Jew. They believed in the supernatural powers that intervened in the course of natural laws. They acknowledged the existence of a creator that was beyond their ability to comprehend. They got word of Paul and his message and invited him to the Areopagus to discuss his philosophy. So Acts 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design 
and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he is set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. I would like to point out a few things in Paul's approach here before we focus in on verses 30 and 31. Paul got to know the people of Athens. He didn't go in blind, waving signs and yelling. He studied them, learned their culture, what they believed. He listened. In verse 22, Paul says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. That was his window. He brought himself into their world. And in verse 28, he even quoted one of their own poets. He built a foundation with the people that he could stand on. There's a couple of points that I hope you recognized from our current series. Uh, Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Anyone got it? King Jesus. Oh, for one. Pastor's going to hear this. It's getting recorded, so. (laughs) Verse 31, for he has set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is our point on resurrection. Okay, so this brings me to our focus today on verses 30 and 31. Maybe let's read 29 through 31 again. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. <clears throat> but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's a tough statement to brush over, isn't it? It's pretty clearly a command, and it's pretty clearly part of our symphonic evangelism. So I have a few observations to go through and then we'll move on to application. The first is God was patient with the ignorant. In verse 30, Paul said, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Last fall, um, we were building last summer. We had an internet cable ran to our house. Well, the company was way behind on trenching so they just ran the cable through the woods to our house and uh just laid on top of the ground until they could get around to trenching it which is still there so one day my my two boys aged two and four were out in the garage with me and they came up and said dad we want to go and do some logging can we use your chainsaw 
So I sharpen it up and put some gas in it. (laughs) To the raised eyebrows of my wife, (laughs) I gave them each a pair of pruning shears. Uh, Harmless, right? Well, they were out felling uh, (laughs) ferns and raspberry bushes. And so I continued my project in the garage. Well, I come walking around the corner of the house and I see a freshly severed internet cable (laughs) with a pair of pruning shears laying by it. (laughs) Well, I couldn't really be that hard on him. I was the one who gave him (coughs) pruning shears. But aside from that, the job of burying the cable, it wasn't finished. God would have been fully justified in destroying the human race after the fall of Adam. But he didn't. Because the job wasn't finished. The story wasn't over. What Paul is getting at here is that God buried the cable through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. In Mark 1, verse 14, he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this brings me to my second observation. God commands repentance. So continuing in verse 30 here, uh, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands repentance. Then in Mark 1, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what does repentance take? Well, like we talked about earlier, it takes a realization that we are sinners first. That there's something to change. Now, before COVID, most people hadn't completely lost their sense of smell before. At least not for a prolonged period of time. Most people can smell at least something. In verse 27, Paul says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God has put into every man and every woman an awareness of himself. If you could turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Um, verses 18 and 19. Paul says the, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
There's two things that any person has innately in them. The awareness of a creator and a conscience. It's extraordinarily rare for somebody to outright deny the existence of some kind of a supernatural power, even in today's age. Many question, but it's very rare to find somebody who outright denies it. Pew Research shows that 4% of Americans say that they are atheists. And roughly 1 in 5 atheists say they do believe in some kind of a higher power, just not a personal God. So, I don't know, less than 4% of Americans, rare. It's because this belief, it's inside of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Next is conscience. I don't know that anybody can deny conscience. This is the idea of smell, right? When we do something bad, we feel regret, remorse. All of us do, believers and non-believers, except maybe a few rare cases. I tried getting some scientific studies on conscience. (laughs) Honestly, most of the ideas are too wild to even share. Webster's defines it as an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. So without God, it it causes some problems here. Um, I'd like to present the stink scale. (laughs) So on one end, we have atheism, right? We're not smelling anything over here. On the other end is a mature Christian or drug dog or bear or pregnant woman. <laughs> Remember, God gave us the law so that we would turn to him. So let's take a sin. Say John Doe had an affair. The atheist John justifies it as, who cares? I'm better off. The in-between John says, I shouldn't have done that. Lives with guilt. The Christian John says, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned against you and my wife. And he changes course in his life. He repents. Verse 30, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands repentance. So repentance is the act of changing one's mind or direction. It isn't feeling bad or regret or remorse. It is metanoia, which I'll quickly hit as four points. I know it's a Greek word, but I always think it, Mr. Kettle and I always think of it as a Finnish word. (laughs) Whatever I read it. So that's why I say it like that. Anyways, four points. First is an awareness of your sin. This is smelling the stink. Two, asking God to have mercy on you for it. This is bowing the knee. Third is a hatred of your sin. Keen smell doesn't want garbage laying around. Fourth, it's a radical and persistent pursuit of holiness. And this is the change of direction. 
Repentance is not an apology. It's not an apology. It's an action. It's a visible change of direction. Turning from your sin to follow Jesus Christ. Last observation, God commands repentance because the judgment is coming. Say you're heading uh, on a vacation to Florida. You have a VRBO beach house all booked up. Maybe a fishing trip planned. Well, some guy is standing in the road and he stops you. He says, hey, Florida, I'm sure is fine. But you should really go to Texas instead. Great food there. Open spaces. Massage parlors. You can rope bowls over there. (laughs) Would you abandon your plans to go to Florida? Of course not. No. It would take quite an event to change complete direction. But what if he says, hey man, Florida, it fell into the ocean. The road up ahead falls off a cliff. But if you hang a right, it'll take you to Texas and you can stay at my place. You're definitely going to at least consider it, right? It almost seems sometimes we become afraid to talk about the coming judgment. You can evangelize. Don't say sin or hell. You don't want to offend anybody. But let's look at the text here. And what did Paul say? So the times of ignorance, God overlooked. Well, what was the ignorance Paul was referring to? Back in verse 29. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Why, though? Why did Paul point out their sin and tell them to repent? In verse 31, because the judgment is coming. That's the reason. Not to heal their leg, or dissolve their anxiety, or even a better life. He told them because the judgment is coming, and they were guilty. That's why. It's easy to tell somebody there's a better life with Jesus. You're not lying, it's true. Nobody here is going to argue with that. You remember the parachute analogy from... A few weeks ago, if we're wearing it for a better ride, it's not going to last. We'll take it off. But if we're wearing it to save our life when we jump from the plane, we're going to keep it on, right? The parachute sticking truth is that we're guilty of sin and have received a death sentence. And there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. My grandpa had a sign on his barn that read, 
Hell ain't cool. (laughs) I can remember reading that when I was a young thundercat. Fearless, reckless. But it made me stop. My grandpa, he loved us kids, and I knew that. Uh, He'd come to our baseball games and spend time with us. I had nothing but respect for him. So when I read that at his house, I felt a little uneasy, you know, maybe a little fear. Uh, So why did he have the sign up? It was a call to repentance. He was warning us kids that there is a cliff ahead, not a bumpy road, but a cliff. And it required a change of direction. Repentance. There's a decision to be made. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father, and that's through him. To repent of our sins and believe it. So say somebody believes in God. Maybe they even agree with what Jesus had to say. Is that it? Have you ever left off there with somebody? I have. Too many times. And I shouldn't. We shouldn't. At that point, I'm just pointing them in the direction of the cliff saying, yep, you're all good. If you agree with Jesus, that's fine. No, he's the Lord of the universe. And he commands us to repent and believe. That's the truth. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Second Peter 3.9 says he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But folks love their sin more than they fear the coming of the Lord. So they go back into the darkness that they've grown to love. I hope you're not mistaking me for being a legalistic hell preacher. If you think that, save it for the Apostle Paul. But remember, Paul had a relationship with these people. They knew him. Most of us might better work off, work on... uh, being somebody whose word will have some meaning when we talk rather than spewing off about hell all the time. But if we're nurturing relationships with folks and we're not telling them the whole truth that God commands repentance, then we're doing them an injustice. And we're coddling them to an eternity of judgment. So what can we do about it? Symphonic evangelism. Let's run a few quick points of application. First, what's the first point of application? You all know it. Pray. 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 Nothing happens without God. Don't try lifting a pillar. It takes a crane. Let's look at Paul in Athens as he learned their culture and interacted with them. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And in verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul said that. That's what he was up against. 
ringing any bells for anybody? Idols, latest ideas. It's nothing but rubbish. And Paul was ticked off. He was distressed. And have you ever felt that way? I hope you have. With the state of our world. But if you want to confront the world with the truth of the gospel, it has to begin with prayer. Repentance is a gift from God. It's a miracle. And it only happens if he moves. We must be calling on him for it. Second point is be patient. Paul got to know the people of Athens. His approach was well thought out and executed. God was patient with a sinful creation for how many years? Until he sent his son. As Paul said in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But do not mistake patience for avoidance. Do not mistake patience for avoidance. Pastor Ryan told me, you ought to be patient in evangelism in the same way that a cheetah is patient with a gazelle. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If you're getting anxious and frustrated with our world, go back to step one and pray. Remember, it's God who grants repentance. And it's our job to tell them that God commands it. Third is be bold. Preach God's word, whether it's offensive or not. Paul got to know the Athenians. He learned their ways and he lived in their city. But when it came to his message, he was uncompromising. He was steadfast to the truth of the gospel. It is our duty to tell the truth. Paul was bold. And he was bold about repentance. Which is exactly where we typically fail. We run the race, and on the last stretch, we say, nope, that's all I got. (coughs) And we give up. Have you ever ran a race without knowing where or when it ends? Have you ever had that feeling with evangelism? Kind of like, I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Maybe more like a grazing elephant than a cheetah stalking a gazelle. But we have to take it home here. Paul says in verse 30, 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. All people, period. Everywhere, period. It's not me or Pastor Ryan or Paul or Timothy or whoever commanding this. God is commanding this. He commands it. God commands all people to repent. How bold would you be if your son was heading to work in Iron Mountain? And you got a call that an asteroid was on a direct path for the whole city and it was going to be destroyed. Would you call them and say, Hey, honey, if you feel like turning around, it wouldn't be a bad idea. (laughs) Or maybe you wouldn't call them at all because you didn't want to bother them. They got too much on their mind, too much on their plate. I'm not going to bother them with that. Of course not. You would be bold. So why is this any different? Is it a lack of faith? Or is it because we don't care? Because we know it's coming. If we believe God's word, we know that the judgment is coming. And we know that repentance is a command. We need to be bold about repentance. If you're here today and you're still heading to Florida, hoping that Jesus will come with, he won't. You're driving off of a cliff. And he commands you to turn. Fourth and last application. It's worth it. You know they murdered Paul for proclaiming the truth of the gospel, right? The Romans beheaded him. Historians say around 62 AD. So why did he continue to proclaim something that he knew would eventually kill him. Because he knew the truth. He knew it. And he had to tell the world. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. Paul says, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, What eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in the matter. If you're hearing this today and you don't smell a thing, you're only fooling yourself. And if you're hearing this and you're smelling the friars turn on at the mobile mart and have already called Jesus, rejoice, pray, be patient, and be bold. 
If you're hearing this and you smell the stench, you found yourself guilty and awaiting the death sentence. I tell you the truth. There is one who is waiting for you. His name is Jesus. And he has open arms. Come to him as you are. Lay your guilt at his feet and repent of your sins. For he has done the work so that he may say to you, not guilty, you are free to go. If you could pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for repentance. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for salvation. We ask that you would make us bold disciples. We ask for the courage that Paul received at the Areopagus, that we would proclaim your truth with confidence and faith, that we would leave it all on the field while we're here. All for your glory. Amen.